This is the Toasted Sister Podcast. I'm Andy Murphy. Before I get this episode started, a quick couple of things. I've added an event sidebar to the ToastedSisterPodcast.com website. These are upcoming events that I'll be featured in like talks and other appearances. You'll see I already have a couple of things lined up like a talk in Albuquerque on January 18th at the Red Planet Bookstore, an appearance as a moderator at the Wisdom of Indigenous Foodways event on January 22nd in Scottsdale, and in Digipop X in Albuquerque in the later part of March. So events are listed on that website. You can always stay up to date by following Toasted Sister on Facebook, Instagram, and I'm on Twitter at Andy Murphy. In the middle of this episode, you'll hear a promo for a new native podcast. Also, if you're a fan of ASMR, stay tuned until the end of this episode. I have a special sensory treat for you that'll give you the tingles. This is the very first in my ancestral food ASMR sessions. You're welcome. Now on to this episode from my September Minnesota trip. Oh, and photos from this trip are on ToastedSisterPodcast.com. My name is uh, Bruce Savage. I'm a member of the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior Ojibwe. This is Spirit Lake Native Farm, owned by Bruce and Tawny Savage. Tawny Savage is a member of the Pyramid Lake Paiute in northern Nevada. And our four children, Tekoa, Sage, Kayla, and Cedar. And now our grandson, Adrian Savage, all work here at the farm. Well, first the harvesters come in and we weigh and inventory their rice. We tag every single bag because everyone wants their own rice. They don't like other people's rice touching their rice. Um, It's really not a rice. We call it monomen, which means the good berry. But it's actually an aquatic grass seed that we harvest on the lakes and rivers throughout Minnesota. We harvest only by hand in Minnesota here. And then we bring it into the... Uh, parching, what we call parching area, which is roasting it, similar to how you would roast peanuts. And everything is wood-fired. As you can see, there's they're big, like, tumbling machines. We have six of those that will have the capacity of holding about 500 pounds apiece, so we do about 3,000 pounds at a load. Then we empty them and we wheel them over to the elevators and they elevate them up into a hopper which then feeds them into the continuous hulling machines 
And as it goes through the hulling machine, it rubs the hull off, and then we have an aspirator on the end that sucks the hulls and most of the dust out. And then, and then from there, we take it into what we call an air screener, which has a different two different size screens in it to take out anything that's an oversize. And then the the grain falls through that screen and goes down to the next size screen, and the small stuff falls through that. Then that goes through another series of aspirators to remove some of the dust and the chaff that comes off. And then we run it over what they call a gravity seed separator, which is the final cleaning stage. And then we bag it up into 50 pound bags and a poly lined bag with like a, like similar to a burlap bag, but it's made out of nylon weed bag. And we sew it up and label it and then weigh it all up and bill it out to the customers. And who are some of your customers? Uh, we have uh, community members from different reservations from Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, all over the Great Lakes region here, wherever wild rice will grow. And so this is like a major processing plant where everybody comes and brings the rice? Well, it's, it's really not that big, it's just um, like one step up from a home run unit, I guess. And um, you've built some of these uh, machines here, right? Yeah, I built all the continuous hauling machines and the hoppers and feeders. Um, the other equipment is fabricated so that it'll work with wild rice. We built everything here. How long ago did you build it? It's a continuum. Uh, usually what we do is any of the money that we do make, we put right back into the facility to try to make it less in labor intensive because as we get older, we have to make things a little less laborious. So I built my first machine when I was about 16 years old, 17. I'm now 58. So it's been going on for a number of years, and my older brother before me and my, my dad and grandfathers, they all were doing it too. It's, it's just that I was able to take it to the next level from just a home run operation. Is this a, a private company here or uh, with the tribe? No, this is a private owned business, my wife and I and kids. And then my, my older brothers, they, they always, they're my bankers. When I need money, I go to my older brothers, and they usually get all the rice they ever want. There's a thing about Anishinaabe people, the more rice that we have in storage, the more safe we feel. About how much rice are you processing You know, during this time? It, it looks like it's the peak of ricing season. Uh, this year, we're somewhere over 50,000 pounds of finish so far. Do you rice? Uh, I don't get to go out on the lake much anymore. This is the part that nobody really likes to do. It's uh, being out on the lake is a real enjoyable event as opposed to being in all of this heat and smoke and dust and the, you know, being out on the water is much more pleasant. Do you have any plans for the future? Do you want to make this place bigger or? Um, yeah, we do. We do. We were discussing some things. We would probably do more investing in our maple sugar part of the operation next. Um, it's always nice to uh, 
to do improvements, we would probably uh, increase our capacity in the hauling department, parching even, you know, the, the way we do our rice is we like to parch it the day it comes off the lake. And with the problem with that is everyone wants that now. Now that they've tried it and, and have been eating that rice that way, everyone wants their rice done in the, within the parchers right away. Um, you know, we, we ramped it up to this size for parching and then we use the building behind me here to store it in so that we can get it hauled. But it's just, you know, there's more and more people that are requesting it and they all want it that way and it's really difficult. So I tell people, if you want it that way, go do it yourself. The main thing that supports this plant is our retail business, you know, our own farm business. We don't make much money on custom finishing for other people because the volume is so small and it takes the same amount of time to process the small batches as it does the large batches. And it also creates more accounting and people just don't understand that it's not, it's not, it's not profitable. And, it, and, it, and if it isn't profitable and the business is losing money, then the business will never be here. And so that, that's the hard part is, you know, convincing people to band together and put your rice together with a bunch of different people so that the processing plant only has to deal with a small amount, a large batch instead of multiple little ones. Because the accounting takes the same for whether I do 10,000 pounds for someone or 10 pounds. And, and that's the hardest part is, is tracking it and accounting for everything. Why don't, uh, why don't people want to mix the rice? I have no idea. They, they just are that way, you know. It's just the way they are. But they all come, the rice comes from the lakes, right? They're in the yeah, canoe. They, and they, the rice is different on, on different rivers and lakes, you know, so they might be ricing somewhere else. And they just, it creates an argument then, you know, and, and even, even certain families don't like to mix their rice with each other because they'll feel one person will get one grain more than the other person and, and uh, it, it creates controversy. Natives on a Budget is brought to you by the feeling you get when you get back from your debt-free vacation. Enjoy the feeling of calm serenity, knowing you won't be paying any interest on that trip to Gathering of Nations. How did you do that? By saving $200 a month now till Gathering. 300 if you're headed to Denver March. Hey, Toasted Sister fans, Monica Brain here. Some of you might know the story of how Toasted Sister got started. Basically, I told Andy she needed to start her own podcast because she was so passionate about food that it could fit into a whole podcast. Well, now, three years later, I've taken my own advice and started a podcast called Natives on a Budget. It's hosted by me, and the financial literacy expert, Sean Spruce, who is Laguna Pueblo. Here's a sample. You know, money was something that was talked about in my household, although we were not a family that had a lot of money. We didn't talk about money when I was growing up, but I knew that it was the source of all of my parents fighting. It was the source of a lot of anxiety. 
in the family. One of the things that I do with my children is that I do my best to not let them know what money is. And and it's really difficult to work with my wife on this because she remembers as a child people giving her money and that making her day. But for me, I don't want my kids to think of money as this way of getting something. We're not the only ones with money problems. There's a government study that came out revealed 39% of Americans, if faced with a $400 emergency, would have to borrow money or sell something of value to cover it. Look, if that's you, if you're hearing that right now and you're thinking, wait a minute, that's me, we're not judging you. Okay, I don't want you to think that this is going to be a long lecture about the things you should and shouldn't do when it comes to money. This is about utilizing your resources to live your best possible life. So no matter how good a job you have, no matter how well you think you're doing, you still need to make smart decisions when it comes to managing money. And yes, some reservations are poor, but others are doing okay. And there's a whole class of hardworking Native people with good income. We're going to focus on all of Indian country, people from all backgrounds, all different communities, and we're going to create something that I think everybody will be able to identify with. A new episode of Natives on a Budget will come out the first of every month, and you can get it on SoundCloud and iTunes, pretty much anywhere you get podcasts. Visit nativesonabudget.com to learn more and sign up for our newsletter. I know this is going to be such a, a broad question, but, um, you know, it sounds like rice is really, really important here, not just like in the native communities, but all across Minnesota. But how, how important um, would you say it is uh, to this area and to you? You know, our, our, and our historical beliefs, we, we came here where the food grows on water. So it's part of our, our life. So it's very important. I, I sometimes have to remind our, our non-native relatives that when they come here and they say, oh, it's such a wonderful thing because it's free. You can get all this free food. And I have to remind them that that rice isn't free. There's been bloodshed and, and defense of that rice for generations. And there still is today. And it's not free. We've been protecting it for a thousand years. So I just have to remind them of that. That really offends me when they say that that gift is free. My favorite way to cook it is to have someone else cook. <laughs> um, I, I eat wild rice in a number of different uh, dishes. I, uh, I have it in my, in my eggs in the morning or in my pancakes. I'll take the leftover cooked rice scramble it in my omelets and my eggs, even in my pancake mix when it's cooked. We grind it into flour and we make uh, homemade noodles with it. We bake with it. We make different casseroles. We mix it into our sausage recipes. I, I was talking to some people at the food summit about uh, uh, some signs I saw on the side of the road, like $3 a pound for wild rice. And they, they just turn their nose up and they're like, oh, that's patty rice. What, what is the difference? Is, um, pa- why is patty rice a lot cheaper? Um, I've done a little bit of research on it. And uh, not all of the patties, but some of them 
they'll have to use uh, chemical pesticides and herbicides because uh, they grow their rice so densely in those paddies that if a swarm of rice worms came in, it would devastate the whole crop. And uh, our, our lakes and river rices, there, there, there are no chemical herbicides and pesticides used in it. Also, it's the, the milling process. We do our rice the day it comes off the lake. It's totally different. And I've uh, researched it. You know, your grains, they have oils in them. And when you leave it exposed to oxygen too long without processing the grain, the oils in the grain can actually become rancid. And I, and I would attest that that's probably the biggest difference is the flavor. Yeah, I, I, um, I heard that it takes like almost an hour to cook the patty rice, but the, this rice here is about, I don't know, 20 minutes or so? It varies because the rice does ripen on the, on the lakes. And when you get your rice early in the year, it's not fully developed. You'll get a higher percentage of breakage. The bran layer isn't fully developed, so the water can penetrate through it easier. And uh, a lot of the commercial uh, processors, when they do cultivated you know, patty rice and that, they'll allow what they call that grain to cure, which is to sit in piles until that outer bran layer becomes very hard and it's hard for the water to penetrate and soften the grain then. You mentioned um, you know, your business here. Are there very many um, native businesses in the area? It all depends upon what people call businesses. You know, when, you, when you talk about small businesses, small businesses generally just to subsidize your annual incomes. So when I look at it, I, I say, that, yeah, there is a lot of them. But a lot of our small business people don't even consider what they do a business. And that's why I very much advocate for the protection of native-made products. You have a lot of people out there today that are trying to simulate native-made products and benefit from that economy. And in Indian country, we need to protect those economies because when items are made, by Native Americans anywhere in the country, it's, it's made in a, in a sense of how the Hebrew people would call kosher. Everything has been prayed for. There has been offerings made for everything that we do. And when, and when people that are outside of our, our Native communities, they may simulate that act, but that isn't the same as when our people do that. So that is why I strictly advocate to protect tribally made and tribally produced products. And um, one of the ways you can tell that it is native made is sometimes it has that uh, stamp by the Indian Ag Council. What other ways can you tell that it's native made? Um, know the people that make it. <laughs> Go into the different communities you know, when you're looking for something. It's always, it's always best to, to know where your stuff comes from. And um, I have a lot of listeners everywhere else in the country. Where could they get some wild rice that might have been processed here? Uh, usually the best way to get a hold of me is through spiritlakesugar at yahoo.com. We do have a website, but I don't have the time to maintain it. You know, both my wife and I and all my children have other jobs so we can afford to do this. 
And so if people are really truly interested in, in this gift that we make, they would, uh, they'll have to work at getting a hold of me. So just like you did. <laughs> yeah, I drove all the way over here and I got lost twice. Um, but I'm glad, I'm glad I was able to see this process. I mean, in New Mexico, I really love to cook wild rice. I, I um, go online and I find, I, I buy it from uh, White Earth. They package their rice. I don't know if it's you who, who does that. Um, and then uh, Red Lake. Um, I, those, those are some of the ones I'm familiar with. But um, it's a regular part of my diet. Um, in, in New Mexico, so it's, it's great to see this, this process here. And um, I've seen documentaries and read a couple of stories about the traditional uh, process of, um, you know, um, holding, holding the uh, wild rice and processing it. It's a lot different than what you do here. Well, this is actually very similar. It's just a modern technique, you know, where we are uh, a living and growing and evolving people. We don't have to... We don't have to say that a certain way is just the way Indians do it. You know, when, the, when they first brought the iron kettles and uh, aluminum canoes, you sure didn't see the Indians say, no, we can't do that. You know, we have always evolved. It is, it is definitely a gift. You know, um, people, people sometimes think that uh, what we do here might be out of line because they think we're making money off of this gift but really as you see everyone working we're only making money off of our labor you know the, the people who make the money off the rice are the ones who are buying it at a cheap price from our people paying them pennies on the dollars for it and then just going around and selling it and not even putting any labor or work into it uh, are there any issues that uh, you're concerned about that affect your business or affect wild rice well, the protection of wild rice is always an issue. We got to maintain our water quality. Um, Army Corps of Engineers has changed a lot of the watersheds, which affect the rice also, and the unbalance of uh, the water being able to flow in different directions really affects it. So there's always concerns. You know, the more people on the planet, the more resources and effect that we have on the environment. You know, I didn't ask you, I didn't ask you about the maple side. Is that, is that on the same area or is it somewhere else? You see the tubings that run through the, the forest here, we have about 1,500 trees that we have hooked up to a tubing system. This is one of the rare tracts of land on the reservation that wasn't burned down in the 1918 fires due to the overlogging in the region. Uh, we're very fortunate here. We have some old growth trees still within the property here. Some of our maples are over 220 years old. We do selective management and harvest of the forest here. Uh, the biggest uh, change that I've seen is severity and weather in the spring. But that is also another uh, labor-intensive product that we do here on the, with the family. I could go on for hours. <laughs> and that's, uh, that all um, gets kicked up around like March, February? End of winter, yeah. Yeah, everyone says spring, but it's really the end of winter. And um, about how many gallons of sap are we processing? Between 245 to, or 145 to 200 gallons of syrup a year. So. 
All right. And, um, you know, my listeners could find that at the Yahoo address or? Yeah. Uh, you know, we do have uh, my friend Charlie Stately owns Woodland Indian Crafts at the uh, Minneapolis Indian Center downstairs. He carries our product there. The uh, Duluth Indigenous First Store carries our product there too. A couple of stores. The biggest part of it is shipping is so expensive and uh, there isn't a large margin on food products. All right, well thank you so much. All right, you have a safe trip home. That Yahoo email address and the link for Spirit Lake Native Farms is in the show notes and on ToastedSisterPodcast.com. If you want to support Toasted Sister, head on over to the Give and Buy page. There's stickers, coffee cups, and copies of my zine, Imminent Cuisine, available for sale there. You can also tell all your friends and family about this podcast. Toasted Sister supported by the Kiwanik Broadcast Corporation. It plays regularly on The River, that's R-I-V-R, Rising Indigenous Voices Radio, and on KCZY, that's Navajo Technical University's radio station. The intro and outro music was created by CWION. Check out this great duo's music on Bandcamp and at CWION.com. That's C-W-A-Y-O-N.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Andy Murphy. Now stay tuned for some ASMR. At the farm, I toured the wild rice processing plant and took some audio. And the sounds reminded me a little bit of ASMR. If you don't know what that means, it's autonomous sensory meridian response. So an ASMR artist makes sounds that for some people, they have a physical experience, like tingling on the backs of their necks. So they do things like rub paper together or scrunch up paper and foil and scratch a microphone with their nails. There's a lot of whispering involved too. So folks find ASMR very soothing and they use it to relax. So sit back and relax and enjoy the sounds of wild rice, the food of our ancestors.
food 